Hello and welcome to the Vision for Teaching podcast. Coming up on today's episode. It's not necessarily um, an easier option to mark in the lesson because you do spread yourself quite thinly. When they do say, shut up Sarah, it's just work, that's kind of sometimes what you need to hear as well, isn't it? I go home thinking all my reminders are clear, that's done. So today's work is done. I'm Scott and I'm joined as always by Mrs H. Hi. And Sarah. Hello. And today is part two of our What to Expect series. So we're picking up from where we left off a couple of episodes ago, and we're looking at some more things that you can expect or uh, questions that you might have ahead of your NQT year. And I think a lot of today's episode is really going to be based around workload, um, because that's a big question I know lots of people are asking. And one of the questions we've had in over the last couple of weeks is about how we strike a work-life balance. So we're going to start with a joke because work-life balance is, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Well, you say it's difficult, Scott. (laughs) Now, without sounding, you know, like, ha-ha. Smug, I think the word is. Smug. Yes. Actually, my choice to do supply was based around this work-life balance because obviously bringing the children up on my own, I've just felt that that was the way that I could make work-life balance work for me. And not all the time, you know, sometimes I'm in school till fairly late, but the majority of the time, as long as everything is done and I've left the classroom clean and tidy and, you know, I've I've left a note for the teacher, I can be out the door by half past three, four o'clock, on my way home, I've got no work to do in the evening. I've got time to spend with my children. I've got time to cook my dinner. I've got time to relax. So I kind of yeah. manage it quite well. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're absolutely right. That is a massive benefit, especially, you know, like, like you say, in your kind of circumstances. That's a massive benefit, isn't it, of, of doing your, particularly your NQT year on supply, Definitely. as opposed to maybe the experiences that myself and Mrs H have had this year. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm still in awe of you because I don't know how you had the energy after finishing the degree qualifying to go straight to that workload and that stress. I I did not have the energy in me to do that. I think there's one thing we need to be really upfront and clear about at the very start of any discussion about workload. And that is that there's a lot of it there is a huge workload on teachers there's no getting away from that uh, but it depends on your setting as to yes how much and what the expectations are and obviously your circumstances at home if you, yeah. if you you know like Sarah if you've got more than two children say it might be more tricky um in yeah. which case supply might be something you want to consider definitely I don't know that I ever found perfect work-life balance I made sure there was time in the week for um, doing things as a family with the children and my husband but my overwhelming urge to make sure I did the best for the children in my class kind of took over a bit not in a negative way but just I wanted to do my best you you, you are a perfectionist as well man so unfortunately yes the person that you are massively can affect your work-life balance anyway yeah yeah, yeah, 100% right. If you're the sort of person that's quite naturally laid back anyway, like or, well, well, no, yeah, yes, I am quite laid back, but the trouble I have is that I'm a workaholic. 
mm-hmm. I, I never switch off. Even through the summer holidays, I won't switch off completely. I'll always have a part of my brain looking yeah. at something on TV and thinking, God, that could be a great idea for a starter, for a lesson. Mm-hmm. Or I'll, I'll be, um, you know, looking on social media and something will jump out at me and I'll think, I need to write that down because I'm going to forget that by September. But I think I that never comes with off. the territory. I think that comes with the job. It does, but I've been like that all my working life. So right. prior to teaching, I was in retail for um, over 10 years and I was the same then. I would never go home when everyone else went home. I would always just get another job done off the list and I would come in a little bit earlier just to get myself sorted before mm-hmm. everyone else came in and you know, before you know it, you're doing 12-hour days, 60, 70-hour weeks. So actually, teaching is the worst job I could be doing because yeah. that that is so easy to do, isn't it? Is I'll just take this bit of work home with me and I'll I'll just do that bit when I get home. And before you know it, it's nine o'clock and yeah. your day, you know, another day's gone. You haven't had your evening. You haven't stopped. You go to bed. You get up and you start again tomorrow. Well, your list is never done, is it? So you never put something. You might strike off something but then you have to add something else on yeah the bottom and it and and this is where prioritizing becomes so important because you'll you will never in all your career finish that list no it'll just never happen because it's a moving feast isn't it there's always something else around the corner there's always a new piece of work that needs doing there's always the day job marking preparation resources so you'll never complete it but what i've got better at doing was um thinking about what I had to do here and now thinking about what I could do if I had time and thinking about the things that weren't really that important but they were nice to do so you've got three lists yes I've I've got (laughs) I've got the the list that I have to do before I go home the list that I could do if I have time which I never do and the list that I'd love to do but realistically probably never will that's just the dream world list that's never getting done. that's that's exactly that's just me dumping my brain onto a list so that I can stop thinking about the things that I'll never do but it has to be said that I go to bed every night with a much clearer head doing it that way than when I had one massive list which I always felt like I can't go to bed yet because I haven't done this that's that. I think that's a really good point. I had one list and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and every little yeah. thing got added to it. And you just thought, <laughs> I know we're never going to complete it, but I really am never going to complete this. Well, that's it. I even switched from making my list on, on my diary. So I had an A4 day to page diary, which basically means I get an A4 page for every day. And my list got so big by October half term, I stopped writing my list in my diary and started putting them as reminders and notes on my phone because oh, I couldn't fit all the jobs I had to do onto the A4 page, which means I had, what, 25, 30 things or more on my list. And it just got silly. It just I got think silly. some of them can be really small things that literally take a few minutes, but because yes, they're on that list, you don't see them. Whereas maybe you could have a list of bigger things and a list of smaller things and just get the smaller ones done first because you feel like well, you've achieved yeah. something. So that short list, if you like, that list of things I have to do today, that is now a, a reminder on my phone. So I've, right. got, I've got an iPhone, I use the Reminders app and I just tick them off. They're done. If I did the, that, mine would constantly be reminding me. Exactly. I don't set the timers. I don't set a reminder. It's literally just there without a date or time oh, right. set. Sorry, without a time set. So these are the jobs. So at the end of the day, when the kids have gone home, I'll have a quick look at my phone. Whatever's left on that list, it might be taking down a display. It might be, I don't know, 
even like marking maths books just to remind me to do that. And then I go home thinking all my reminders are clear. That's done. So today's work is done. The stuff for this week still goes down on paper because they are the things I need to refer back to, you know, and then the longer term stuff is in a little book that I keep at home because I'll never get to them. <laughs> my problem with writing lists That's... is I do write everything yes, down. I do. Yeah. Wash. Yeah. Make tea. Brush teeth. Breathe. <laughs> so it tick, tick, tick. <laughs> Done all of that and it took me, what, half hour? <laughs> well, yeah. But that's... that's how we work and i'm not saying that'll work for everyone but that certainly keeps my stress levels lower because i know going home i've done the things that i had to do today the things that absolutely had to be done what i can then look at is what has to be done over the next week or two weeks or what deadlines are coming up what things can i prepare for which helps me to sort of chunk the workload a little bit to the absolute must do's and then the I really should do these things next, you know, and that that's works for me. It won't work for everyone, but it works for me. Um, one of the things I think was perhaps a downfall was that I, I had this urge to make sure that in my mind I had things mapped out for perhaps a month. And while I hadn't put that down on my planning, I needed to know the direction things were going, which you do need, but not to the extent, whereas I might get, quite a lot of my list done and then I'd be thinking about things that were so far in the future yeah it was completely waste of my time but I kind of got into a bit of a rut with that so I would yeah. maybe say just focus on the short-ish term yeah rather than you know trying to change the world or whatever once you've done your first half turn definitely your first term and you've seen it start to finish I think going into spring term, I was a lot clearer in my mind of what was important, what was worth stressing about. Because there is an amount of stress that is healthy. You know, it's like it keeps you Mm. you going, keeps you motivated, keeps you on your toes. It's when that stress becomes toxic. And and I think going into spring, I had a very good idea of what is important. What are the things that my school really value? What are the things I'm going to be pulled up on if I don't do? Um, you know, what are the things for me that are important to help me deal with workload and whatever else? And then spring was a lot easier to manage. And that's where I came up with that idea of having the different sort of priority lists. But in the autumn term, there was a lot of stress because everything's new and you're getting to grips with what your school expects of you, um, particularly if you haven't worked there before. If you've, you know, got I don't know, things that you value, that you really want to get in place, you probably haven't had a lot of time to prepare them because you don't know your kids yet. So there's a lot to get to grips with. I think that's, there's naturally going to be a certain amount of stress. There's no getting away from that. I think as well, it's a really, really long term. Well, it seemed to Mm. be really long term. I know it is, you know, in in weeks wise, but actually you've got so much to get used to in that time. You get used to your setting, used to people that you haven't, potentially haven't worked with before policies procedures all of those things on top of planning having a class being an nqt there is a lot to juggle yeah definitely one of the really good things and i'm really pleased i did this when i was on placement i used to put my um, emails for that school on my phone so obviously whenever i check my personal emails or whatever the work ones would come through as well and i found that stressful so i decided that when I started work, I wouldn't put my work emails on my phone. Mm, it was the best thing I did because 
otherwise you're a slave to them. Yes. Now, this is interesting. This is a good point because I went the opposite way with it. Because when I didn't have work emails on my phone, every time there was a break, uh, whether it's lunchtime, break time, end of the day, first thing when I got in, I was checking my emails on my, on my laptop, on my school laptop. And it got to the point where I wasn't, you know, I, I was desperate to nip to the toilet in a break and I had to go and get the kids off the yard in 10 minutes, but I've got to check my emails in case anything's come through today. And then I thought, if I just have them coming through to my phone, I'm going to know that there's an email there. I don't have to deal with it now, but at least I know there's one there so that at lunchtime, I don't need to check my emails. I can just action whatever the email says. See, for me. So I came at it from a different way, but for the same reason, because I'm less stressed because of that. I yeah. just know that if I open my emails and there's an email there on my phone, it would be on my mind. Whereas yeah, at yeah. The end, when I was out, I don't know, watch my son play rugby I didn't want to know if there was an email from school because I could check that in the afternoon when I went home yeah um, yeah it's just how we're it different, works isn't it? for me yeah definitely. yeah and and that's the key thing is that one thing that we say isn't going to work for everyone but no. we're, you, we're both both ends of the spectrum in that yeah. sense aren't we <laughs> if you know that you've done it before and it stresses you out there isn't a, a required well there certainly wasn't where I no. was a requirement to have your emails on your phone I don't know of any schools that require it. I think it's, it's got to be down to personal choice. For me, like I say, I, I prefer to know that there's something there, but I don't, I'm not the sort of person who um, likes to be out of the loop. I prefer to know what's going on and then I can deal with that in my own time. Mm. But I totally understand the other side of it. And there's lots of teachers in my setting that are exactly the same as you. Just work is for work, home is for home. And mm. that's absolutely the right thing. I don't yeah. disagree with it. Just, You've just got to do whatever works for you, hasn't you, haven't you? We had a question recently on Twitter from Miss Perry underscore NQT. And she asked a really good question, which was around, around stress, but particularly around how we de-stress. So we've talked about workload and how we can manage that to try and limit stress. But how have you two sort of found the best ways for you to deal with stress or to de-stress at the end of a day or a week? Well, other than the obvious, which is drinking red wine, um, <laughs> gin. <laughs> I think um, for me, one, I don't really, I'm not a very stressful person. So if I do feel stressed, I don't handle it very well. So I kind of just use you guys and my friends. I have like a support network of people that I turn to and they, distress me really and, and yeah. I just switch, try to switch off from it all because I can't think straight when I'm stressed so there's no mm. point in carrying on working there's no point in worrying I have to step back and become Sarah and not stressed again and yeah can... yeah do you think it's better to have you talked about like a support network people you can turn to do you think it's better to have people who are in education who understand it or is it better to have people who aren't in education and sort of ground you a little bit and, and switch you off from teaching? I think a mixture of both for me. I, I like, you know, when, when we talk, I like that we've all sort of, you know, had similar experiences. We all qualified together. And, and I find that when I talk to you guys, you know what I'm talking about. Whereas if I can talk to somebody else that isn't in education and, and they're like, oh, shut up, Sarah, it's just work. <laughs> yeah but then also those those friends that aren't in education when they do say shut up Sarah it's just work 
that's kind of sometimes what you need to hear as well, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And and I find the same with family is that, um, you know, they don't always get it, but they've always got a way of bringing you back to the real world, if you like, out of your teacher bubble and, and sort of ground you in the moment again. Do you remember when we were on placement? I don't know if you know this, Scott, but um, Doris, my youngest, cried and said to me one day, because I was really stressed trying to get something done that had to be done on placement, it was the most important thing. And she cried and she looked at me and she said, Mum, how come you've got all the time for all the other children and no time? Oh. And it broke my heart. Oh, my goodness. That's the, it the, made the most me, heartbreaking thing you could hear from really your child. And I was thinking, you know, she's right. Yeah. Why am I putting all of this effort into this? And actually, I'm ignoring her right in front of me. There's going to be people listening who have got children of their own. They may be student teachers, they may be NQTs, and they might have the same worries that you've just described about, you know, placement, placement we know is tough. And we talked about in our previous conversations, we've talked about how placement is, is the hardest thing you can sort of get yourself through. In terms of the real world of teaching, as we've, as we've all been in, how does that work with having kids for you two? Uh, well, I'm fortunate, I suppose, because my children are older. Well, I say older, they're 12 and 14. Yeah. Um, they're responsible enough to come home from school and let themselves in and, you know, look after themselves. Yeah. So that's freed me a bit. But I always felt guilty, I suppose, that actually yeah. they were, especially my daughter, because she'd just gone from primary to secondary. and. I just felt as though I wasn't really there for her. And even though they are older, they do still need you because they can't get yeah, to their after school activities without you. You know, it's, it's really hard. I don't, I don't know that I ever cracked it. What about you, Sarah? Because obviously your children are a bit young, or you've got children a bit younger as well. Yeah, yeah. So mine range from, well, actually recently just 18. But at the time I started my training, I think Freddie was 15. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Doris is six. So, so she only, was only three when you started. She, and yeah, she was um, in nursery. You know, go going to sort of private nursery for me to do my, my training, wow. which was found quite hard because none of the other children had. Yeah. Um, to be honest, <laughs> this isn't like um, a parenting kind of um, rule book, but I've kind of. My children are sometimes on placement, they've been almost feral, really. <laughs> it helps having the older ones, which are able to kind of keep the younger ones in line. Um, yeah. And I've kind of done it, I just go on auto drive. Sometimes when I think about it too hard, I'm not quite sure how I've done it. If I just am busy and keep on, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, you know, on placement when times are really hard for those few weeks coming home and you know thinking well I've got to feed them I've got to bath them as long as I've done that and they're all in bed and they're safe then I'll just carry on and there, there's this will end at some point <laughs> definitely I get it I get it kind of the difference obviously that you two have had compared to me is my kids don't live with me so the time that I have with them I've been very very precious over making sure that is for them Mm -hmm. so if I decide it's for example if I have them every Sunday which I usually do and you know I've got some work that needs doing I know I've got to get that done Friday night because I'm not spending Sunday afternoon doing 
you know big bits of planning or preparing resources that said there are some times where the kids can help with things which is nice because then we're still doing things together but I'm not going to make that a weekly thing you know I, I don't want my kids cutting things out every Sunday afternoon because that's not the memory I want them to have growing up but you know again they're 14 and 11 so they're not babies they need yeah. that quality time with you and then they can also understand you know when you've got to do other things and for me as I say it's a bit different because I can do those other things when they're not with me but you know no doubt there'd be people in both sort of situations listening so I think the message is that it can be done it's just going to take a bit of organizing isn't it like on those times you know i know both myself and mrs h in university had moments where we had mum guilt mm. yeah but i think when when you kind of keep in your mind like i know that if i hadn't done my teacher training i'm not quite sure what i would have done yeah so it's actually showing my children that actually if you put your mind to something and you work hard that you can achieve something because i have achieved it so it's a good lesson i think it's a good example isn't it that yeah. you know hard work pays off and actually we did it for, we did it for ourselves but we did it for them as well yeah. so you know they can see that if you want something and you're prepared to put the work in you can achieve it yeah, yeah. that's a good isn't it to have it's a good point i'm not quite sure doris has taken any notice of it to be honest well (laughs) my daughter wanted to be a teacher she doesn't anymore (laughs) (laughs) just moving on from that sort of aspect of stress but to a different part of workload one of the biggest pieces of workload for me is marking and obviously i'm key stage two that's inevitable with key stage two in foundation phase, you could argue the same point for, for making resources and for preparation in that sense. Mrs. H, how, how did you sort of manage, because you were key stage two as well last year, how did you manage marking? How did you get that to work for you? Because it took over my life. I'm really lucky where I was. Um, we didn't, we marked, but there was a, a very um, sensible policy, I suppose, in that it had to have a purpose, it had to have an impact. Otherwise, why are you doing it? Why would I write reams and reams and reams of things 25 times when actually some of the children might not have been able to read it so I don't have to go over and verbally give feedback. It just, it was just a very sensible approach. They, we used the Dylan William four quarters marking. So a quarter was self-assessment, a quarter was peer, a quarter was... Um, teacher comments and I can't actually remember what the other quarter was it might have been verbal feedback self-assessment peer assessment is it a quick skim skim and marking detail yeah okay so self and peer assessment great it's brilliant you know it worked really really well used to train them to make it quality and to realize that they might you know need to look at the success criteria and things like that to to work out where they achieved and where they need to work on um the skin marking was great you literally just would double tick but then i used to do that going round so when i was supporting them in the lesson i would put a double tick or just a tick or sp for spelling or so i would live marking yeah if i had given them feedback i wanted them they used to write a v in purple pen and in a circle so that it showed that that dialogue had been um you know taken place other schools i've worked in the children had to write the verbal feedback down which when you've got a child that doesn't write very well, mm. it really detracts from 
what's the, what's the point of their in, lessening? What's the point in verbal feedback Absolutely. if you're going to write it down? This verbal feedback is supposed to be a quick, impactful. Yeah, exactly. And you should see the change in the work to know that the verbal feedback was effective. Yeah. Um, the detailed marking, I think it was the first time that they did an extended piece of writing. And I think I just lost the will because I was writing the same thing over and over. Yeah. And I didn't feel as though it had a huge impact. Um, so I think I'd mentioned this previously. I started trialing whole class feedback, um, which worked really well because the children sat with their books. I would read out what, I, what notes I'd made during the skim marking through the lesson. And then, um, you know, we'd sit and have a chat about it. It was displayed in the class book at the back. So when we did work later on in the term, they could refer back to that. They didn't need to flip back in their book. Um, it was all, all at the back. So it really worked. It worked really so, well. So you would make notes generally in, from, from all the books that you've kind of skimmed through. And, if you, and yeah. then everyone would get that feedback for them to be able to reflect on their piece Because of it work. saves you writing it 25 times. Mm. Yeah, Quite yeah. large, when you've got a piece of extended writing, there are going to be elements that everybody needs to improve on. Yeah. Um, that's really good. I like that. A space for praise and examples of good work. So, of course, you know, you'd start with those, how it's gone really well, blah, blah, blah. And then what you need to improve on next time. And a lot of it applied to so many different things. It wasn't just in literacy. They'd be able to take that over into their theme work. Or if it was maths and then they were using that skill in science another time, they would be able to refer back. That's really good. Mm -hmm. I suppose it's it's a tricky one if that's not what your school does already. But and also once, you have to have people that are willing for you to try things. Yes, that's it. I was going to say once you're in and you're settled and you feel comfortable to approach your phase leader or head teacher, whoever it might be, that would be a brilliant thing to try, wouldn't it? Because yeah. marking is is such a heavy workload sometimes. And as I said at the start of this, you know, preparation for foundation phase teachers is the probably the equivalent because marking is a little bit maybe a less onerous task in the foundation phase uh, I think going around on supply you see so many different marking policies and some of them some of them you know you think oh right okay that that's good and you can see that it works and you can see that the children it's effective and the children are acting on their feedback and and, and it's moving their learning on but um you see some things and you just think what on earth is who is that for what what is it for what what what's the point of doing that i've always wondered because obviously as you know i'm foundation phase really in my heart of hearts and i've always kind of wondered why right if you're, if you're teaching in a small group in foundation phase then the feedback that you give is verbal anyway because you've got the time mm -hmm. and you've got them in front of you yeah. I never really understood the marking in foundation phase unless you can sit there and read it to that child. In which they, case you may as well just give verbal feedback anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Give, a, give a tick and maybe sort of a comment of like how they've worked in that lesson because you know in future when people are looking through their books when parents come in for parents even they can see that but for that child what's the point in marking the book what the, you know two stars and a wish unless you explain and read what those two stars and a wish are some children have that in their book and 
they never know what the wish is because it's not explained to them and they can't read do it. Do you think do you think that's the problem though is that very often marking policies aren't designed for impact on children they're designed to evidence that we've done something. Yeah I think it so. is there for parents and Estin by and large. Yeah. Yeah. I had but, a, one of my placement schools I, I won't say which one it was. Um I had, we were getting ready for a visit. Uh, I wasn't there actually for the visit, but we, I was there for the preparation beforehand. And we went through um, lots and lots of books uh, and we had to put in feedback and the children had to act on feedback that hadn't actually been there at the time. This was going back, you know, pages and pages and pages back because we had an inspection coming in. We were writing in feedback and getting the children to, which, they were just sat there writing these things that we told them to write. It was absolutely pointless. pointless. But Estin, Estin have explicitly said yes. they don't expect written no. feedback. And I, you know, I don't know about Ofsted, I can't comment on, on England, but certainly for Welsh schools, there's no requirement to have written feedback. But there feedback. seems to be with some heads and with some teachers a mental block on um, process. Do you think that's because that's the way it's always been? And so, so. it's a massive mm. shift change and it's a, and it's think, a fear, isn't it? It's a fear yeah. factor. It's not like yeah, we're it is. see how we, we are it's, doing it's, and see how we do things. It's yeah. this fear that they're coming to judge us and they're coming yeah. to, to see 100%. what we're doing, which is a shame. It's, it's a big culture shift, isn't it? But I've seen examples. I've seen some case studies and I, I wish I could remember the name of the school now, but there was um, a great example of a school in England where the head teacher completely scrapped written feedback. Mm. So you wouldn't see anything on a page in to Peter. indicate. Oh, it could be. I really wish, I wish I'd made a note of it beforehand. But the, um, the point is that all the feedback was done verbally. Everything was verbal feedback, either in the moment, so it was live marking as the teacher was moving around the room, or, um, you know, afterwards, the teacher would sit with particular children and point out things they'd done. Or, more generally, it was whole class feedback, like Mrs. H said. So if all, you know, if 70% of the class had made a particular error, then it makes sense to just tell everyone. Because even the 30% yeah. that got it right will still benefit from hearing why they got it right. And the 70% that didn't will hopefully pick it up a second time. Yeah. What's the point, as we've said, what's the point in writing that? 32 times for me that's exactly how it should be it's directing it at the person that needs it and it's it's not wasting time it's you know maybe it's my retail life. background but my retail background if i had an issue with a member of staff i would go and speak to that member of staff yeah. either at the time in the moment or afterwards but in a very meaningful way you know this is how this needs to be done this is how this needs to be improved children are different on one of my placements, there was a, a method marking. So they had their purple pen for progress. They, they were a year four class. So they, the teacher would, you'd mark in their books. So when they next got their books out, so this, this is what used, I used to, this is where the plan used to fail because I used to think they should have those books now and read the comments and act on it because they always had to ha act on this purple pen marking. Um, but it could be a week, you know, if it, if, if it was like humanities or something, it, it could mm. be a week until they pick that book up again. So when they pick that book up, all the children have to act on what the feedback is. That can take 15, 20 minutes. Mm. 
and then you can't sort of move your lesson on because you've got to wait for everybody to finish because you can't start teaching the rest whatever you're going to teach that week you've got to wait for them and i always used to think there's that massive delay that that piece of work it doesn't really mean anything to that child anymore they've they've forgotten all about that really you know what's the point a week later in having to act on it it should sort of be there then yeah yeah my class had two opportunities a week so if the if the feedback was if i'd done the mark or marked the books after the lesson had finished there were still two opportunities that week for them to go back and look at it but more often than not i would be marking it during the lesson with them yeah and clarifying confusion and then giving them a challenge so it was kind of tied up in the lesson yeah. otherwise it's pointless if it's two yeah. two weeks down the line i wish i'd got better this year at marking during the lesson i was always um and, and maybe it was you know the because situation i was class, in but the class is quite difficult isn't it so yeah, you had loads, I, I had, didn't you i had i had a lot of kids and i you know i had a, a lot of um workload just sort of in the lesson but the, the the thing that maybe i would do differently if i had that class again and i could do the year again is to maybe do that whole class marking so if i'm going around and seeing the same points very often i would um stop the class as a sort of mini yeah. plenary and i would say guys i've you know i've noticed this i don't know whatever it is um let's just have a look at that again have a look back through your work if you've done this wrong you know now's now's the time to go and correct it great job done but then i would still mark the book in full at the end of the lesson and actually what i should have been doing is putting a little mark whether it's v for verbal feedback or, or whatever it is to then say well look i don't really need to mark all those wrong because i've i've done the verbal feedback i wasn't i didn't pick up that straight away i was doing all the right things but i was then creating just as much work for myself yeah. because then let's say i stopped them on question five in a maths lesson really those that were struggling i should have just marked properly from question six onwards right but i wasn't i was still marking one two three four five yeah. and it's in hindsight i think why did i bother i'd already stopped them to give feedback that they were i don't know there was a misunderstanding or they were doing something wrong um so why bother marking them as wrong you've told them they're wrong you don't need to then reinforce that by putting red pen all over their book as well so no. there's two sides to it there's the, their kind of feeling of of uh, failure and also my workload it kind of doesn't make sense does it it's not it's not necessarily um an easier option to mark in the lesson because you do spread yourself quite thinly mm. however if you then um choose to work with a particular group of children it doesn't have to be an ability group it can be any you know wherever they're sitting you could choose right at this today you know i used to put my plan in working with blah 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 the others to work independently and it would therefore be kind of a traceable loop that nobody would be expecting me to mark the 15 or so other books because they could see that i was spending my time focusing yeah. on this other group and it, it, it completely depends on your setting but that is another way that you, you might choose to do things yeah that's good just uh, one final point that before we go we've had um, quite a few questions over the last couple of weeks around ideas and inspiration for lessons where do we get ideas from um how do we come up with topics for example what have you found have been kind of the best ways to get ideas not so much resources because there's lots of websites available to get resources from but those ideas at the beginning of the process 
I think for me, obviously, Twitter, as we all know, is, is amazing for ideas and, 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 and all of that. Uh, for me, it's easy because on supply, you just see so much even just on display or talking to the children about what they've been learning about. And you just think, wow, that's amazing. Not, not just about topics, but about, you know, behavior management, about classroom management, just, just so much that, you know, I kind of, anything I like, I write it in my little, my little pink book. <laughs> it's full of little ideas that, you know, I'm, I, I flip through them every now and again. And I think, well, Wow, I'd forgotten about that. I forgot about really simple little things that just really work for that class. So mm. for me, it's kind of just when I'm out and about in different classes and looking on Twitter, really. Um, I think I've found over the course of year going out to different schools, um, either on courses or PL days, just to kind of magpie ideas, whether you take a little, I mean, they're usually schools are really open to you taking pictures as long as there's no children in them so just take pictures of things that you like and then if it if you want to implement it and it works great if not shelve it um there's lots and lots like we've said on twitter and you can google so many things there's groups on facebook but actually i think a lot of the things that need to be so specific to your class if you're actually going to meet their needs you need to find out what's going to benefit them best rather than just taking something that is quite a generic idea perhaps no absolutely i think i picked up loads from my pl days and i thought that looks great but it's not right for my kids so i've still got it as a little no but i might come across a cohort in future years where i think oh i could try this with them because that would be perfect or that meets their needs but there's a lot of things i've had to just keep on the back burner because they're not kind of right for my kids but the the best way i found to come up with ideas for lessons or topics is just to kind of be aware of what's going on in the world what's happening around you so you know what's on the news what's big on social media what tv programs are coming up that the children are interested in or you know anything like that big movies i've done a, a whole project based around south wales which I've, i know i've mentioned before inspiration for that just came from looking at what was around south wales a little bit of googling a little bit of bbc news don't they they love to keep up with news and what's going on so i think like yeah news, if you can keep your eye on like what's going on with the elon musk i know um, mr sage you did something to do with him yeah when we were in lockdown it was like oh gosh i can't remember when it was now but they loved it yeah so many are interested in space anyway so you just tap into that but i was just yeah. thinking, um at the beginning of one of my themes and i think i mentioned before we have immersion days and you, and you get um the children's ideas and you know that can help feed into your planning and one of the girls said well we were doing something about um you know in, impact on the environment and things like that and she said well i just wonder how electric cars work so i mm. rang up um our local BMW dealership because they've got electric cars. They bought their electric or hybrid i8 into school and then wow. they gave a presentation about it. The children were able to sit in it, have their picture taken in it, they could ask any questions they wanted. It was great. And they, they, uh, they No, I well, don't know. I didn't. <laughs> but it was great because actually that whole afternoon they were so excited before it happened. And then after they were talking about it for days oh. and, and then they left information leaflets which I put in the reading corner so obviously it wasn't books but they were still able to tap in and those that perhaps needed support with reading were able to look at the pictures and talk about it, it was just 
it just could have gone on a lot longer. It was great. And they'll remember that. They'll remember that forever, mm. won't they? Yeah, they will. Yeah. And you would never have come up with that idea had no, you just I been sat there by yourself. Because I'm thinking think plastic ideas. pollution, palm oil, yeah. these sorts of things. Whereas they're like, actually, I want to know how electric cars work. And, and yeah. then they were saying, well, is that going to work? In and they were really mature questions that I would never have got from. I would never have got that from them. Just sometimes you, you just have to go with the moment, don't you? You have to go with. The, the flow of their thoughts and we yeah. talked about pupil voice before that's exactly where pupil voice would guide you yeah and obviously then you can go and sort of take that idea and run with it but ultimately it comes from a child making that little comment or you know um, a question that they ask and it just changes the whole direction that you were and that's why you need to be flexible as far as you can as well because actually that yeah. that I had thought perhaps something else would be done that day but it was when the garage could come in so you yeah. just have to you know change around what you're doing and be flexible and I'm not good at being flexible because I'm a little <laughs> bit who is, who is this woman oh wow you don't recognize me <laughs> no it's, it's a big it's a big thing to get your head around if you're the sort of person that needs to know what the plan is and when things are going to happen because yeah it sometimes it just doesn't quite work like that does it no for all the right reasons it doesn't work like that absolutely yeah that's really good points and that really does wrap us up quite nicely for today's episode thank you very much ladies as always before we go let's just share our visions and i think we'll start this week with sarah okay well my vision this week uh, again i go back to the marking in foundation phase um i'm not saying that it should stop completely but if you do mark then just be conscious that that child can't read or will really struggle to kind of read it. And you know, some of the language that's used is not the language that we are teaching foundation phase children. They don't, they don't know what some of it means and it needs explaining and it needs to be explicit. But if you've got to do all that explaining, I do question what's the point in marking because you've done it verbally. You've had them in a group and you've done it verbally. So my vision for teaching would be, you know, scrap the marking and foundation phase is it really needed yeah no really good thank you sarah mrs h um i would suggest people have eyes everywhere wherever you go look for ideas in classrooms even classrooms within your school i mean there's so many so much of a variety there's always things to pick up um obviously twitter's twitter is a really good place contacts from placement don't forget about your placements. If you've made strong contacts with a the school, they will be more than happy to help you and, uh, you know, help you with ideas. But also I know once or twice I've contacted um, lecturers that we had uh, last year, obviously previous three years, um, and they were really forthcoming and really supportive and helpful. And I think, you know, most of them really like having that contact with past students. So don't forget the links you have. No, that's really good. Really good point. Thank you. My uh, vision is more for teachers than for teaching. And that's really around sort of managing stress. And I think the, the first point is that there is going to be stress. It's, it's a stressful profession. It is a very consuming career option. So you need to accept that there are going to be certain levels of stress. But what we can't get that confused with is that toxic stress, that stress that really starts impacting on your health and your well-being, and I can speak from experience on, on all that. Once you've accepted there's a certain amount of stress and you understand sort of where that level is, 
it's about finding how you personally are best to deal with that because how I deal with it and how Mrs. H deals with it and how Sarah deal with it are going to be three very different ways. And that's because it works for us. But if you know that you really enjoy reading, then make time to read, whether that's your Saturday thing or your Friday night thing. Um, you know, we joke, well, sort of half joke about um, gin and red wine, but not half joking at all. But if that works for you, then, then, you know, make that your thing. Whatever uh-huh. it is that you enjoy doing, don't we're not we're not endorsing alcohol alcoholism here though just to say. no no we're not supporting it we're just it's a fact <laughs> just saying it happens but whatever works for you whether it's you know whether it's video games whether it's uh running where going to the gym whatever it is don't lose that in your workloads don't start getting rid of your time in the week where you do that because you think you've got to be marking books or preparing lessons or writing plans or whatever it is um it's really important to be very disciplined with keeping that time for yourself even if it is one evening a week because as soon as you lose that i think that's when you know everything takes Mm -hmm. over Mm -hmm. thank you ladies it's been a pleasure to talk to you as always if people want to get in touch with you on Twitter, where can they find you? And we'll start again with Sarah. Uh, I am at Smart Teaching Twenty. If anybody um, that, that's particularly worried or concerned about doing their NQT on supply, if they just send me a DM on Twitter, then um, I'll sort of try to answer their questions for them. Brilliant, uh, Mrs H. Uh, you can find me at Mrs H underscore Primary. And you can find me at Mr. Han Teach. That's H-A-N-N-Teach. We are absolutely blown away by the amount of support we've had on our Twitter account for the podcast. So thank you so much to everyone that's been contacting us at Vision for Teaching. That's Vision, the number four teaching. We've had so many lovely comments. We've had lots of direct messages as well, asking us particular questions or things that they want to see in future episodes. So please keep those coming in. If there's things that you like or things that you would like to hear about, get in touch with us and we will do our best to make future episodes around those points. Thank you very much, ladies. I will speak to you all really soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.